Hi, I'm Nico. And I'm Rushmi. And we're your hosts of Anything But, a podcast where we chat with notable people about anything but what they're notable for. Today, we're joined by an award-winning artist who is listed as Forbes 30 Under 30 in music, won the Music Video Jury Award at the South by Southwest Film Festival, and is going to open for Haley Kiyoko in San Francisco this month. Not only is our guest today an incredible artist, but she's also an activist for gender liberation and self-power, integrating music with her work and advocating for a better future. Madam Gandhi, thank you so much for joining us today. It's my great joy. I love the concept of your podcast. Well, thank you so much. We'll spend our first few minutes, as you might know, talking about everything music and activism, and then we'll shift gears into anything but that. So to kick it off, we learned that while you were getting your master's in music science and technology here at Stanford, you went off to Antarctica to sample the sounds of glaciers melting. I'll tell you, I've always wanted to go to Antarctica, so this sounded really cool to me. I'm wondering if you can just tell us a little bit more about that experience, what it meant to you, why you did it. Yes. I think one thing that I want to zoom out and say right out the gate for anybody who's listening to our conversation today, really optimize for your own joy, like follow Mm -hmm. your bliss. Because I was asked to go speak at Stanford Karma Center for Computer Research and Music um, and Acoustics years ago as a speaker. And when I arrived there, I was so blown away by the program. I was like, I feel like I did the wrong master's. Like, I'm so jealous of these students. I wish I could come and do this master. And so then when the pandemic hit and I felt this kind of desire to up-level my own music technology skill sets, I applied to Karma humbly and got in and got in with um, a little bit of financial support as well. And so it kind of felt like, wow, anyway, there's a pandemic. I can't tour. They're actually allowing students on campus. I'm going to take this opportunity. I'm not even missing anything. I can't be touring anyway. So I went up to Stanford and and started this program. And I, I share that backstory before we get into the Antarctica stuff, because I didn't really know, like, if everyone's asking, why are you doing this? Why? I, my only answer was like, it seems so cool because I don't know what I'm going to learn because I don't know what's even out there. And but I'm drawn to it. I'm inspired by it. And sometimes other people in our life, our parents, our business partners, they need these like hard, tangible answers. But we don't know what's on the other side of bliss. We just can follow what seems to light us up. So that's really what brought me to Stanford was just simply pure joy and enthusiasm. So I arrived there and truly on the first day of school, uh, the class that I had, they taught us how to build underwater microphones, hydrophones in the max lab. We're learning how to solder. I'm like for the first time in my life, you know, fusing metal wires together. It was the coolest thing. And when the microphone works, it's like the most miraculous feeling. You're like, I made this from scratch. They chartered a boat and took us out to Monterey Bay, where we recorded the sounds of whales singing underwater using the hydrophones that we had handmade at school. It was a completely transformational experience. I had already in the pandemic recorded nature sounds and made a splice pack for other producers to make beats out of my nature sounds. That pack won an award in 2021, the year before I came to Karma. And so... The underwater version of the nature project was a natural progression. Separate from that experience, I had been asked to join a chartered trip to go out to Antarctica with a bunch of entrepreneurs, tech folks, creatives, 150 people who this group felt, you know, would, in, would, would come back from the experience and influence their communities about climate action and really taking it more seriously. And so I felt lucky to be invited on that trip. And it was a natural fit for the underwater project that I was doing. So I took even more hydrophones. I went out to Antarctica and I started sampling the sounds of glaciers melting underwater to create empathy around climate action, literally feeling and hearing the sounds of of the planet melting 
it's like bittersweet. It's beautiful. It's fresh. It's life-affirming. But it's also tragic and it's also important. And that Antarctica won't exist in decades from now if we don't take this more seriously. A lot of times as creative people, as musicians, sometimes we we don't feel empowered. We feel, oh man, like, you know, we're not in this government position or, you know, we're not this or that. Any person can use their gifts to take action. And so as a musician, I thought, what if I can use sound to create empathy and therefore action? So that's why I went to Antarctica and the pack is going to come out this summer. Wow. That's incredible. I really like that idea of just doing it for the sake of doing it because you don't know what's out there, right? It's the mm-hmm. that spirit of exploration. It's something that I also subscribe to. It's that like I, I firmly believe in the idea of just seeing what you can find and doing it for the sake of doing it. So it's really cool to hear that that's like the foundational piece yes, for and what brought you here too. Yes, exactly, Nico. And not often, but rarely are young people, rarely are students, rarely are adults encouraged to optimize for our own joy, to mm-hmm. actually follow something that lights you up. But the truth is that if we follow what lights us up, what gives us a, um, love energy and positivity, you will always have stamina to do that work. You'll always have um, energy to do that work. When we're doing something that's draining, like it's like, why? You know, what's the point? No. Oh. So may we always optimize for what lights us up. That's beautiful, too, because I feel like I've always been taught to kind of fear things that I purely just enjoy it feels like you're not thinking logically or you're missing Mm. some aspect of it so it's very inspiring and empowering to hear just like you never know what's out there it's always good to at least put your best foot forward and your interest into the things that you're passionate about yes that's so incredible so we were also kind of wondering if you could speak a little about this experience that in 2015 you famously ran the london marathon free bleeding to counter the very heavily segmentized topic of menstruation. And I was just wondering if you could talk a little about what that experience meant to you. What, how did you kind of deal with the responses that people had to that? What was the overall experience before, during, and after that run? I love this. Great question. Um, again, similarly to how I answered your first question, I, it's important for me to give my own personal backdrop to that story. I was in my second year of Harvard Business School. I was a master's student. And my first year, I had spent the entire year traveling the world drumming for an artist called MIA. So I had felt this incredible surge of self-power, identity. I was going to this school learning about music industry in the daytime. And I was touring drumming for a very well-known artist in the nighttime and on my weekends. I felt such a high. I felt such a strong identity. When the tour ended, I watched my own self-confidence crumble. I felt uh, inadequate. I felt not cool anymore. I felt like my so much of my identity was wrapped up in being the drummer for somebody else. And that was very scary for me. I noticed how much I was dependent upon external accolades, external affirmations, especially being the daughter of two South Asian uh, parents. You know, so much of our love and our encouragement is tied to our achievements. Mm-hmm. So my second year, I remember I saw a lot of people, you know, in Boston, just jogging on the Charles River, running in the snow, in the hail, in the cold, in the morning, in the nighttime. I felt so inspired. I'm like, man, like these people are just high on life. Like it's nothing. I want to be like these people. And so my second year of business school, I started to run. I started to run one mile, two miles, three miles, run to this bridge and back. I was like, what's the worst that can happen? You can just Uber yourself home. Nobody needs to know. You know, this is for you to start building back up your self-power, your self-confidence, your self-love, pushing yourself. 
going towards the thing that that seems like uncomfortable, running in the cold, mm-hmm. running in the morning. Eventually, my friends um, encouraged me to join them to go run the London Marathon. I had the same thought. I said, listen, what's the worst that can happen? Even if I run 18 miles, <laughs> this is an amazing accomplishment. So I go out to the London Marathon, and on the start line, I realize I'm about to be on day one of my period. And for either of you or for anybody who's listening, let me tell you what you're not trying to do on day one of your period. <laughs> it's run 26 miles. And so like any of us who have been caught unprepared on our cycle, I started evaluating my options. I'm like, okay, uh, I, you know, toilet paper quick fix. I, you know, that's not going to work for, for four, four hours. Um, a, a pad. I didn't have one and, and they cause chafing. It's not comfortable. A tampon. Yeah, sure, maybe. But I also was like, I don't want a half in, half out situation while I'm trying to run. You know, anytime that I've actually had my period while training, I just took rest for three, four days. I didn't mm-hmm. go running, you know, I so I actually was genuinely unprepared. So eventually I was like, I would rather run bleeding freely uh, this marathon than use any of these products that may not be suitable for this moment. And I genuinely was like, wow, no one is talking about this. Why are we not aware of how to do all these different things? Um, and take care of our bodies mindfully. So I knew it was punk rock. I knew I was on my feminist vibes. I knew it was empowered. Um, and I started to run. And the more I bled, the more I felt so proud of myself. I'm like, wow, like women and people who bleed, trans folks, gender non-conforming folks, folks who have a cycle all over the world are waking up every day and doing amazing things. And not only are we expected to hide away in shame, uh, you know, we're expected to not talk about it. We should be celebrating it. We should be mm-hmm. like, wow, we are giving birth. We are healthy. We are doing this amazing thing and we're living our life. Wow. The more I thought about it, though, I thought, wow, millions of women and girls and people who bleed, trans folks, gender folks all around the world are not given this same privilege. They are not given this same choice to bleed freely or to run in a way that or to, to be in a way that's comfortable and appropriate for our body. And so that was really the turning point. I crossed the marathon finish line. It was a big success. I genuinely felt proud of myself. But I wrote about this experience and I used the marathon as a metaphor for the kind of power that I really feel like needs to start happening in the world and, and the need to destigmatize. And the story went completely viral, causing this kind of global conversation around how we treat menstruation in different cultures. And the message is not about free bleeding. The message is about radical self-power, about mm-hmm. celebration, around positivity, around education, awareness, around solidarity between people who bleed and people who don't bleed. I actually have a very spiritual mentality, which is that there's a reason why it is only half the population. It's because actually we need that love and support from the other half who's not experiencing the bleeding. We need our counterparts to come and support us and to ask us, what's going on? How are you feeling? How can I support? There's a reason why one person gives birth and the other person is there theoretically, you know, to support, to allow um, there to be this kind of team team membership that I think is so beautiful and divine and not discussed enough. So again, it really was this opportunity to destigmatize, to use kind of radical performance art to push the world forward. And because I didn't work for a company and because I was a free radical agent, it allowed me to step into my activism. That's, I love also how you said about you need that other half to support you. I've honestly never really thought about that before. I feel like sometimes when I'm on my period, I'm very much in my like, I'm so upset right now moment. And you're not really thinking about the people around you that are there for you and always supporting you. So I think that's really beautiful. I love that you're saying that. And I think, you know, we've created this kind of dynamic around 
men don't understand, people who really don't get it. I think that's a missed opportunity. Mm-hmm. I would love to live in a world where my brother, my partner, um, my male friends are like, how are you? Are you okay? What do you need? Mm-hmm. I think women and people who bleed were so worried about that being used against us because it has. We, it's been used against us to hold us back in the workplace, to run for office. Women are crazy, this and that. We can choose to live in ignorance or we can use, choose to live in awareness. And the more we step into our awareness and own what's happening with our bodies, with our hormones, with our moods, we actually can see the great power there is in solidarity. Okay, that was, thank you so much for sharing that. I remember when I learned about you, I was like, I have to ask about that. That is just an inspiring story. And so many people, I'm sure, learn so much from that and are appreciative that there are people who will advocate for these things that a lot of people are not able to do on their own. So now that we've kind of talked about some of the things that you're definitely notable for, we kind of want to start to shift into talking about anything but that and learning a little bit more about you, about things that you maybe haven't been asked before and just getting a nicer insight into you as a person because you are absolutely amazing. So we wanted to start, I had to ask this question, especially when I found out you were opening for Haley Kyoko. But I have to ask, have you ever seen Lemonade Mouth? And if yes, thoughts. If not, thoughts. Rashmi, what is Lemonade Mouth? Oh my gosh. You just opened a whole Pandora's box. It's a okay. movie. Let's- <laughs> it's an incredible movie. It's, so it was a movie that we, like, that I grew up with, especially, like, as a child. It was a Disney Channel movie. Haley Kiyoko was the star. And it's about this, like, it's like these, like, misfits in detention, and they all come together and start a band. Biggest <laughs> point is it has, like, the best music ever. Wow. So definitely something you can check out it's like it's a phenomenal this is good you're keeping me honest i feel like that's important you know when you're opening for someone you definitely want to kind of know their history and their stories you know Haley saw me Haley and i were both at a conference in san francisco a couple months ago and i was presenting the antarctica project um she and i also were sharing a manager the same manager for a short while and so i told her i was like when you come to san francisco you know let's do the show together and she generously invited me to come open um so that was a really nice fit because i'm living here in oakland so that's how that happened. And of course, I really appreciate, you know, Haley's very honest and open with her audience about her own mm-hmm. healing journey, about her work, about her partner, about her queerness. And I think being um, a public figure and so open is something that's very, very challenging and that we don't give enough credit to. We think it's like, oh, millennials and Gen Z, everyone's open about everything. But, you know, when you open yourself up to other people's projections and, and influence and opinions, it's very, very emotionally draining. And so when people are able to do that fearlessly because they see the value they're contributing to other people, mm-hmm. I super respect it, apart from the fact that the music and the live show um, that Haley does is, are, are both incredible. So that was the reason why I wanted to do that opportunity uh, with her. And I love playing the film more as well. So you just talked a little bit about like that idea of fearlessness and how much you respect that. I'm wondering, because it's so hard right, to do that, if you have any ideas for how people can kind of empower themselves to be a little more fearless like where for for me it's you know finding value in what I'm doing and how that applies to other people and how we're doing we're in this collective experience together we might as well help each other out along the way but if through your journey you found anything particularly significant and what's helped you be fearless what you might see helping her be fearless and in just being being you Yes, I love this question. I think you've answered it a little bit, which is that when there's a sense of self-love, it's a lot easier to be fearless because 
no matter what are the external factors that might be um, thrown at you in your fearless state, you're solid and with self-love within. When I ran that London Marathon, before it went viral, I crossed the finish line so proud of myself. I felt proud of myself because I never run that far in my life. I felt proud of myself because anytime I've led, I just want to like cozy up with chocolate and, you know, a blanket and sleep. <laughs> and so I felt genuinely proud of myself. And of course, I have a feminist mentality. Of course, I believe in freedom uh, for, for all of us. But at the core was self-love. So when the story went viral and all over the world, even though there was so much love, there was so much negativity and so much evil, hatred, trolling, rudeness, meanness, you know, disgust, all these kinds of things. Genuinely, I felt empowered because I felt I knew what the marathon represented to myself. Exactly what you're talking about, Nico, when you see your own self-value and you have a desire to be in service of others, you've already cultivated this sense of self-worth, self-love. And so for me, my fearlessness comes from knowing a sense of within myself, I am safe. Within myself, I am empowered. Within myself, I am joyful. If I make a mistake or something is messy or gritty on the way, it's okay because I know the larger goal in mind is to arrive at success. When my foundations are weak, I'm far more sensitive to what people say around me. I'm far more sensitive to social media, to my partner, to my parents, to my friends, to my business uh, relationships. But when I'm good, confident, calm within, then it doesn't matter what's happening with that. And in fact, I'm actually able to control my 50% of the energy by bringing joyfulness, positivity, good energy. So I would actually say on a personal note, cultivating that sense of self-love is what enables fearlessness. You're not afraid of anything because no matter what happens externally, you're good within yourself. Things like meditation, things like for me personally, the last three years, letting go of alcohol completely, no smoking, no drinking, no coffee. I, the other day I was flying and they didn't have matcha on the plane, which is what I prefer to drink. They had coffee. So I was like, okay, fine, I'll have a coffee. No problem. So I'm trying to do my meditation on the plane before I land. Completely impossible. I'm like sitting there for meditation. Boom. Uh, did you send this email? I'm sitting there for meditation. Boom. When you land, uh, what are we eating? Uh, I'm sitting there for meditation. Uh, is there Wi-Fi in the plane? Like, can I, you know, so, so coffee and meditation actually don't go together. So we wonder why we're in a planet of chaos. It's because every day all of yeah. us are drinking espresso <laughs> caffeine to participate in capitalism to meet our deadlines but in terms of like self-centeredness it's quite hard actually on many of these stimulants so I've had to actively remove them because I see the benefit of not participating that is what has allowed for a lot of my self-love um, within because those choices used to be very hard for me I'm like how will I not drink I'm a musician every single night all around <laughs> the world the one thing I'm offered is the beer tickets the wine tickets the bar you know uh so it's very empowering and that creates self-love because I'm like, wow, that's discipline. 10 years ago for me, this would have been unheard of. I'm my own hero mm -hmm. at 34 uh, to myself at 24. So these are some small examples. But self-love allows for fearlessness. What do you think was one of your kind of hardest experiences that you had coming to your own terms with self-love? Because I feel like that's something that's like always on the up and down, up and down mm -hmm. for a lot of people. Yes, and it is. And I think it's going to continue. It's not an arrived state. You actually have to like cultivate it and water the plant, you know, on a daily basis, mm -hmm. on a weekly basis. For me, I think it was the pandemic. Similarly to how I described to you earlier in my first year of business school, feeling that sense of low identity and low self-worth because my external identity was tied to, or my identity was tied to external factors. And then I felt mm -hmm. depressed when those external factors were taken away. The same thing happened to me during the pandemic. I felt so much love and support 
for my activism, for my music, for the music videos that we were winning awards for. And then in the pandemic, the music stopped and all of us had to take a pause. And I saw how that um, affected my mental health. I felt depressed. I felt unworthy. I felt um, like I'm not good at anything. All of my buried uh, negative voices were so much louder because I didn't have the distraction of getting on planes, you know, being in service, mm. doing my craft. So I would say the pandemic was the biggest shift in emotional work that I did, really stepping into that place of if I go uh, to buy, um, you know, something at the store, that moment alone can be an amazing moment because I'm choosing to bring nice energy to that moment. If I'm driving in the car and somebody else is rude to me, I can actually bring nice energy to that moment. Like, I don't want to be amazing when I'm on a stage as Madame Gandhi. I want to be amazing when I meet somebody to the right of me on the tube in London like this. My humanity is what is special. My existence in any moment is what is special. This is humble. This is humility. This is you pull back the curtain and I'm still the person that I say I am. In fact, I'm even more the person that I say I am. I'm on the journey. This is empowering. So that was the biggest lesson, the most challenging lesson. You have to really break through your ego, the pain, the feeling of lack of self-worth. And the best way I did it was letting go of these kinds of substances that, you know, prevent me from connecting deeper and allowing only substances that allow me to, to go deeper. There's only one way past it, which is through it essentially yeah. so any of our pain you have to go through it there mm -hmm. is no um numbing there's no i'm gonna just watch netflix there's no this and that just be brave go through it because all the good good is on the other side yeah wow that's like you said it's so much easier to see what's behind you and what's on the other side than what's in front of you right mm -hmm. then to do the put in the work and, and push through i'm wondering you know i'm hearing a lot about all of this really truly empowering language and i can tell it's so innately just in you like this is you and that's what's so cool to me but have you had those moments where you look at it and it just seems like this wall is impenetrable and you're just sitting there like well what do i do now and how do you get through those moments that's a great question i think using different contexts is really important so if the wall is in my music career i just fully don't participate and i go for a run or i go for yoga or i just hang out with my friends kids like literally just completely some different context and the reason we have to do that is that it's important to allow us to come back to ourselves and and in any way that's necessary so if i'm not feeling like myself in my music career i make sure that i'm allowing myself to come back to myself by just being um, a cool mentor to my friend's kids or to be um, to make like vegan food with with another friend and just like allowing my own creativity um, to flow without stress and without an intention. It's just mm. God energy flowing. Then it allows you to soften and come back to yourself. And you're like, yeah, cool. Like the seven year olds think I'm awesome. Like, <laughs> all right, like, let's go back to the music. You know, like genuinely, truly um, when I'm feeling stressed in my relationship, Absolutely. I just let it be because I don't want to make it worse. I don't want to control. I don't want to move from a place of fear because ultimately this is somebody who I love and cherish and only want to bring my highest, most loving self and also my most authentic self. If I need to say something uh, that's important that I'm afraid to say, I need to cultivate that bravery to come back and say it peacefully with love without worrying what is the outcome. So then I will go to my career. I will have podcasts like how you and I are having. I will um, make sure I'm booking work for myself. I will go on my social media and share my music 
because then I'm getting energy from other people in a different context to then bring back into my relationship and say, oh yeah, no, I'm empowered and I'm awesome and I love you and I'm so sorry that I was fighting with you. It was totally me, like my bad. That's not who I am. It allows for humility. So I would say my answer to your question about creating empowerment is about using different contexts to your benefit. Thank you. Yeah, because yeah, I feel like really, yeah. walls pop up everywhere, right? And we we face these kinds of situations on, in some cases, a daily basis. Sometimes it's more than once in a day. Sometimes things just get hard. So being able to essentially build a like a human skill set around just experiencing life is something I try to do. Wow. And being able to have this conversation right now and and talk about these experiences candidly is how I do that. So I'm, I'm yes. just really grateful for you sharing all of this with us. What a beautiful thing to say. Thank you, Nico. That's amazing. I kind of want to circle back a little bit. You were talking when you were talking about your growth to like self-love and kind of that journey that you've been on. You talked about a point where you were feeling rather unsuccessful. And I was just kind of wondering, how do you actually define success? Because everyone mm. kind of has their own interpretations of it. And I was just wondering if you could elaborate that. And even if you want to define what it means to be unsuccessful too, kind of how you work with both of those things. Yes, this is great. Inner peace, huge. Inner peace, calmness. When I'm clenched and stressed, like abundance and God energy can't move through you. Genuinely, truly. When you're calm, cool, collected, everyone's like, oh, God, I want to be around your energy. It's so refreshing. Like, oh, <laughs> like how like like whatever I need to do to just hang out with you, like I'll book you, I'll host you, whatever. And you're like, so, it's such a nice energy. You know, so when I'm calm, when I'm peaceful, when I don't need anything from anybody, when I'm just happily to be next to them, bringing good energy, this is success. Because everyone's like, oh, goodness, we can just enjoy life. What a concept. I forgot about that. Thank you for reminding me. But this is a huge part of success, inner peace. And so I try to cultivate it through movement, meditation, matcha, you know, creativity, uh, being around wonderful people, um, spending time by myself and making sure that I'm also meeting my own needs so that I always have something to give and I don't feel depleted. Sleep, mm -hmm. you know, like the basics, like, like nature made it so easy. I also... Um, I would say success is also defined by being in service. Mm. I have been, uh, I travel, travel is very important to me. I love to travel. Recently, I traveled without um, my work. I was just traveling to travel. And it was actually really amazing for me to realize that if I can't travel in service, and when I say in service, it means that I'm doing my music, I'm meeting with somebody, I'm speaking, I'm giving my gift. It actually felt really, um, it didn't feel good. It felt, I don't know, it felt indulgent. It didn't feel balanced. It felt like I was just spending a bunch of money and I didn't feel like it was a two-way exchange. I didn't enjoy it. And I was like, oh, this is a huge learning for me that actually if I travel or if I'm, you know, moving around, I want to be in service. I want to be feeling like I'm giving my gift just as much as I'm receiving. And I really loved that that awareness for me. It was such a huge shift because a lot of times people work to then go and take a vacation. Of course, no problem. We all have to be self-aware. But because I'm not in a traditional job, that's not my truth. I have breaks all the time. And so I don't need more breaks. That's not authentic to my story. What's authentic is feeling like 
I'm in service. So that's, those are the two things I would say are success for me. One is inner peace and two is having an influence, a positive influence. That's, that's, I feel like so many people when they talk about travel, right? The two biggest things that I hear are one, it's a perspective maker. And two, that a lot of people just like to do it, to do it. Mm -hmm. So it's back to what you had just said about like this refreshing energy. I think it is refreshing to hear the idea that we are here to share what we have with other people. Yes. And that's that's the point. Yes. Exactly. That we're not here just to to gobble the world up for ourselves. <laughs> yes. So. Yes. Well said. Well <laughs> said. And it, it, yeah, exactly. And that's it's good that you're saying that because actually that's a colonialist, you know, colonizer mindset. What you just said. Exactly correct. This mentality of um, consuming what others have. And it's mm-hmm. not a bad thing because I do agree. Not, co- colonialist mentalities <laughs> are, are, are objectively not the best thing. Um, but, I, but I like what you said earlier about perspective makers because it is true, especially Americans. We are so solipsistic in our own world, doing American things, thinking American thoughts, fully unaware of what's happening in the rest of the world. And it's almost by design. They want to keep us dumb and unaware, really. So it is important for us to travel just to see how many different ways of life there are and how people really don't care about America and for us to just chill out. Um, But I like what you're saying about also us being in service and giving and receiving. It's very, it's very healing and it's very humbling. Definitely. I mean, in that same spirit of giving and receiving a little bit of a pivot, but can you think of like, is there something that's maybe the most impactful advice you've received, whether it be good or bad, but just something that's had a big impact on the way that you move through the world? You know what? I I, love, I know how I'm going to answer this question. I'm going to answer this question talking about finances. <laughs> I'm going to talk about this. I'm going to answer this question with finances. I'm going to bring us from the spiritual realm 100% back into the physical plane. Okay. For, for me, as a creative person, money has come and go my whole life. It comes, it goes. It comes, it goes. It comes, I travel. It comes, I buy nice clothes. It comes, I you know, have rent. Like it's, it's never been something that I think too much about. It flows. It's fine. Some days are better than others. When I, when I'm strapped financially, I think a little bit more about spending less, but not so much. Recently, I've been giving a lot more attention and awareness to how do I um, more thoughtfully think about the value that I'm bringing to people and how do I make sure that I'm building and not just living moment to moment. And it's a challenging one for me because I actually believe that humans are meant to be in the present moment. We are actually meant to be here and excited and giving you my full attention. At the same time, when I think about having little kids and my own children, it inspires me and motivates me to want to build resources for them. Again, being in service. And so it's motivating for me, especially um, as a woman, to think, how do I take my resources and provide? So perhaps... The best advice that I've been receiving recently is how do I think strategically and responsibly about allocating my resources, whether it's Mm -hmm. investing 5%, 10%, um, putting money away, obviously, to an IRA, to uh, a health savings account. How do I intelligently put resources allocated for next year if I wanted to actually spend a whole year writing an album and not touring and not creating income? So just being more mindful and intelligent with how I spend my money. And you, you both are young. I'm 34 now, so I'm only starting this process. My little brother, who's 26, loves to flex on the fact that because he started <laughs> investing, 
when he was 18, no matter what, he will always, his, his saving, his like, his investments will always be worth more than whatever I'm starting now in the past couple of years. He loves to flex on this fact <laughs> and he's not wrong. And because he's my little brother, I love him and I adore him. And I'm like, I'm so proud of you. Good that you're so smart. So I think my advice is really, you know, the sooner that we can start this intelligent finance journey for ourselves in a small, in a small way, we don't have to like obsess over it. Um, the more we can participate in these systems that can actually be quite empowering. That's something I wish was taught in high school. Yeah, a hundred percent. And it shouldn't be reserved for like elite people or even for me, I felt reject. I felt a rejection of it. I was like, ew, like, you know, I'm not participating in like greed. I'm not participating in Wall Street. You know, that, that's it's almost like what's fed to, to people in the activist community. But that's foolish. What's actually wise is for us to just have an open and objective opinion towards everything and choose what is healthy and what works for us and then reject things that are low vibrational like greed cheating you know a lot of people who get obsessed with money of course they're they're they are behaving badly and and making low vibrational choices we're not talking about that we're talking about humbly participating in something that can work for us yeah i mean it's something we all need to figure out at some point but everyone's kind of on their own path to getting there but I just wanted to pivot again. We're kind of going in all sorts of directions. But you mentioned your brother. And I was just kind of wanting to know a little bit about like your family and specifically how has it been, at least in terms of like your South Asian identity kind of growing up and what kind of role did that play in your childhood and also being in America too? Great question. I think I have to give full credit to my parents because they are They've, I actually think they've taken the values of South Asian culture that are really beautiful and, in, and and instilled them in my brother, sister, and I. And then I actually think they've let go of a lot of the more problematic values mm-hmm. that cripple a lot of South Asian families, especially those who move to the States and expect their kids to be raised like full-on um, South Asian kids, but then we're fully living in an American context. The, the values that I love, um, being family-oriented, um, being extremely disciplined. You know, we weren't allowed to miss dinner. Like, we had dinner together as a family um, every night, maybe my father not because he was coming home late from work, but my mother and my three, my brother and sister and I, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, discipline when it comes to neat room, turning off the lights, um, being aware of how our actions or our volume or our words affect other people. Um, living in a multidimensional way, you know, excelling in school, but then also in sports and in music. Of mm-hmm. course, the, the flip side of that is what I mentioned earlier, then having our whole identity only being tied to our external accolades. And so that's been my work to sort of undo that and say, hey, I'm so grateful that my father and my mother um, see boundless potential in my brother and sister and I. But when I'm a parent, I'm going to encourage that while also making sure there is that sense of unconditional love rather than uh, mm-hmm. your love is, is given when you're achieving. Um, and then I would say also my parents did a really beautiful job of, of connecting us to our roots. When I was at Stanford, I continued taking Hindi. I, you know, I could read and write Hindi, which is very empowering. Um, you know, I'm doing my yoga, my meditation. All of these are very much um, Indian traditions and Indian schools of thought. So those are the benefits. Um, and I have to say, my, my parents are no longer together, but both of them are very visionary. Like they're very like doing their own thing. My father is now teaching at Harvard Business School, which was always a childhood dream of his, which is so cool. My mom herself actually just put out a podcast um, that she's calling Three oh, Tips. Yeah. Yep. So she shot her Slide. podcast from her um, house that she just bought in upstate New York. So my, they're really doing their thing, which I really love and respect. And they love us. They encourage us. And then my brother, sister, and I, we're homies. They're, they're both younger <laughs> than me. They're both Aries. I'm a Pisces. You know, they're, they're just kind of like, they're so loving and, and like clear. Um, they call me out on my BS, which you need as a big <laughs> sister. 
but I love being a big sister for them. My sister will like she refuses to buy clothes for herself. I'm always buying her like the latest like nice Lulu. Like she won't spend money on clothes. Let's say so. I'm like let's get you the top Lululemon. Let's get you the nice shit from REI because these are all business partners of mine. So it's like easy for me to support my brother and sister and I with these nicer products. Mm-hmm. Um, my little brother is a finance kid, so I really respect how sweetly he'll go on Zoom with me and be like, "All right, Kieran, like." pro tip get this credit card this shit is awesome like (laughs) pro tip i was just reading this article i told him last night actually that he should start sending out a newsletter to like his 50 or 60 like people Mm. i was like kavir you're so good at this and like like you're delivering value to your community like you should do this in an official way um so that that's our relationship we're each four years apart um 26 30 and 34 wow that's so I have sweet. two older sisters, so this whole sibling thing. Oh, I'm, it's the same. I'm familiar yeah, with. You're yeah. the Kabir. You're the yeah. Kabir in the situation. Yeah. Um, I know we're coming to the end of our time here, so we have just one last question for you. And it's pretty open-ended, so take it as you will. But what is something you've always wanted to be asked? Goodness. It's not an easy one. It doesn't. There's something that comes obvious to me. Is there anything else in the questions that you haven't asked yet that you can ask? Well, Let's there see. certainly is. I'll let Rashmi, do you want to pick our final yeah, question Yeah, we have here? a light one. This one's pretty fun, I feel like. So it's, if you could only wear one outfit for the rest of your life, <laughs> you wake up every day, same thing, even when you go to bed. It's yeah, I got it. Same. That's easy. I got it. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Head to toe, yellow, Gucci, tailored suit. Oh, okay. That's a good one. It's an yeah. easy one because it's true. <laughs> <laughs> And I just, uh, there was a gorgeous, uh, I wore a gorgeous Gucci tailored yellow suit to a speech that I gave at Berkeley College of Music in Valencia, Spain a couple of days ago. And the back of the suit, for whatever playful reason, Gucci put the equation for photosynthesis on the back of the suit. And it's just so bold and beautiful. It's embroidered. And then it has like a little sun. And my name, Kiran, means ray of light in Hindi. So it just feels like it's like my professor suit. And it's, yeah, again, it being it tailored, it feels like um, it's the glove, like it fits perfectly. And there is something very important for me about like suiting up and getting ready um, to show up. And, you know, whether it's boxing, whether it's giving a speech, I really love the rituals around getting ready for something and arriving. Um, I'm very ritualistic before speeches and shows, you know, it's the meditation, it's the incense, it's visualizing how I want the show to go. It's it's nourishing myself, you know, going for a short run in the city, having a matcha like I'm so ritualistic. My mom actually makes so much fun of me. She's like, from when you wake up to when you're actually ready to start your day is like a two and a half hour process. I'm like, listen, you know, whatever it takes to show up uh, with all the nice energy. Um, So I appreciate that question. And it would be a yellow tailored Gucci suit. Perfect. That's incredible. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a true pleasure. This has been you great. two Thank are you so, so special. This was such a thoughtful podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That was anything but music and activism with Madam Gandhi. You can find more of Madam Gandhi at Madam Gandhi on social media and at madamgandhi.com. Anything But was created by Rushby Arendran and Nicholas Lepins, produced by Iman Rahman, with original music by Caleb Liu.